Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hash Talk, a podcast exploring the best of blockchain in Asia. I'm your host, Sankalp Shangari, and this is our open source attempt to bring you the latest news, narrative, and interviews with the best minds in blockchain and related technologies. So let's dive right in. Hey guys, welcome back to Hash Talk, uh, another exciting episode uh, with one of my favorite uh, guys who've been, uh, uh, you know, looking forward to having him on uh, this show, Pavel Baines, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of Bluezell, a decentralized uh, storage solution on, on blockchains. Uh, very exciting to have uh, Pavel on board. Uh, I've, been, I've been really looking forward. Uh, uh, Pavel is one of the best-known uh, blockchain guys uh, in Asia, especially in Singapore. Uh, very well-connected and, and building a great, great, great solution. Uh, welcome, Pavel. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Excellent, excellent. Pavel, uh, first of all, I think, I think thank you for being on the show. Um, what everybody wants to know is is what is Bluezell and 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 what exactly are you are you building? So let's let's dive right in into that. Yeah, easy to answer. So it was a couple of years ago we were doing Bluezell here and doing projects for some of the banks and insurers, and we're doing decentralized applications. Now one of the things that we had to do was we had to take like we built a KYC product and we had to on Ethereum we had to store the data, name information, all that somewhere. Now, that's when we realized that if we store that on Ethereum, it's going to be very expensive and slow. Yeah. And if we did it on you know, a traditional database, that's not ideal. So that we found that there was a missing gap and said, hey, if Ethereum takes care of this on the decentralized computing layer, well, we do need decentralized storage for the data. And that's where we came, like, it will be that missing piece. So you have a full decentralized stack. So the goal is... All financial transactions are ready, smart contract transactions, that stay on the blockchain, but we're off-chain storage. So database of names, phone numbers, user profiles, stored on a decentralized storage service, and that was Bluezell. Great, awesome. A very, very simple question there. Um, how are you different from any other storage, uh, be the servers on, on the rack or be the AWS in the cloud? Uh, how, how are you different from, from those things? Well, the big difference is using blockchain technologies, uh, you know, consensus algorithms to have it decentralized. So you have all this data being stored on the peers all around. Yeah. So right now, if you are on, let's say, AWS and you have your database sitting in one region, if you move, if you want replication in another region, you have to set that up, you know, get that going, call it in and launch another cluster. So by doing it our way is that you'd be replicated in multiple regions right away and get those benefits of decentralization, which is mainly security, availability, and the privacy. Great. Uh, I know you're from Canada, from Vancouver. Uh, how was it growing up in Vancouver? And, and how did you end up uh, with, with Neeraj, your co-founder, and, and why blockchain? It was, yeah, so growing up in Vancouver, I mean, we're all first generation kids coming up there from, you know, our parents immigrated from India. And then we're also the other cohort that our friends were with were the first generation ones that came, their parents came from Hong Kong. So it was a good like community to grow up with uh, in Vancouver. And, you know, just like every, you know, typical Canadian city or American cities grew up playing basketball, listening to rap music, yeah. hip hop, um, and just 
you know, that nice Vancouver lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so it was good. It was um, very multicultural. And uh, as we were all first generation and started growing after that, so it exposed us to a lot of communities and cultures, primarily like Indian, Hong Kong, Chinese, that uh, you probably wouldn't have got elsewhere. So makes it easier when you come to country, you know, Asian countries because yes. you already understand everything and you have identifiable roots with multiple cultures, not just one. Absolutely, it makes makes you tough. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think I think uh, you 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 become street smart, uh, and you can handle the lazy uh, uh, or, or easy Singaporean culture very well. <laughs> well, all, like I said, the exposure is really good because growing up in Vancouver, you know. We didn't see, you know, on TV, you didn't see Indians on TV. Yeah. Right? In mainstream shows. So, what did, you know, you watch shows from the US, so you got to understand like the American culture, African Americans, Mexicans. So, when I moved to the US and uh, lived in Los Angeles, we had something relatable right away. Because, like I said, there weren't Indians and Chinese on TV, right? Yeah. In Vancouver and Canadian shows. So you get that really good cultural understanding that you can just adapt and get along with people wherever you go. So from a, from a uh, hip hop and a basketball and athletics uh, growing age, uh, how did you end up in tech? And I know you, you used to run some gaming companies and had your own business in the past. How, how did that happen? Yeah, so yeah, growing up, you know, in the university and like, like I said, we're in sports and entertainment. Yeah. Uh, grew up playing video games. So it was like, okay, Vancouver was a hub and started just kind of working in the digital entertainment, digital media space. And then you have kids and after a while, uh, you start understanding like, well, I can't keep making games or I'm just shooting people and doing this. Yeah. Uh, I was always big into, you know, distributed computing, economics, political science. So next thing I want to do was go something more deep into tech and, uh, and then that's where we decided, I started reading about blockchain, Bitcoin, and saying, wow, it combines everything. It's economics, yeah. it's finance, it's, uh, it's distributed computing, pushing the edge on stuff. So it was kind of a combination of everything. I said, hey, this sounds actually really cool in that sense. I was like, yeah, I've got to get involved in this. So th this was this was 2000? Oh, probably like 2015. And, and, and that's when you met Neeraj? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how did you guys come together and, and decided that, that data storage on blockchain could, could be revolutionary? Well, that, was, that came after. So how we met was just through, through a mutual acquaintance mm -hmm. that, who knew me and said, hey, I was looking into the stuff. So he knew Neeraj, who had just come back from uh, Silicon Valley and who was into the same stuff. And he said, hey, if you, guys can, you guys are both into the same thing. Maybe you guys should explore doing something together. Yeah. So we went and we started talking about blockchain and different ecosystems and saying, okay, where do we want to get started? What would be good? And then we decided that, okay, let's start just doing development work in the blockchain space. Yeah. And then we thought that Vancouver, Canada would be a bit slower. Look like Asia is going to be the next thing. Let's just go try it out there. And then we basically came to Singapore started working for some of the banks and insurers doing some projects. So smart contract and insurance by using smart contracts, KYC identity management using Ethereum. And then from, like I said, from that spawned into, okay, what's going on in the whole ecosystem? And that's where it came like, hey, decentralized storage seems to be a missing path you had. Like I said, if you had the computing layers in Ethereum, you had things like storage or Filecoin doing file storage, kind of being like Dropbox or AWS S3. They were like, well, the other complementary piece is going to need data, data storage. Yeah. And that's how that idea came about.
And then this is, is this because, uh, you know, data has become a currency, like they call it data capitalism today. And, and uh, uh, we, we see a lot of data breaches, uh, you know, data manipulation, data stealing. Uh, how does Bluezell prevent all that? And why is it better? So that wasn't, uh, that wasn't the original stuff. It was just strictly data storage. But now, moving forward, uh, over the past year, we've gone more into, you know, the next evolution of the product or features that we do is more around that data privacy and data ownership because it is top of mind. It's, it's become more and more aware to people. Yeah. And it seems like that is the next thing that people are going to be going on to because, I mean, I was looking at all data privacy and what I share on social media, family stuff, all that, because that's... I restrict it because I'm just worried about that stuff. Yeah. But it seems more and more people are becoming aware of it. So what we see is using a decentralized data storage, you can actually build applications or products on top of that. It gives users control of their data. So instead of going to you know software, signing up, so some web application, and store on all their networks, and they can do whatever they want with you know XYZ software company or web application, they can do whatever they want with the user data. If we have a way that's saying, hey, you know, sign them up, but the user data is in control of, you know, Bob or Alice, and she can shut off access to it, decentralized storage and decentralized systems like this can actually benefit that. Absolutely. You know, yesterday there's a, there's a tweet going around, um, ex-CFO of PayPal banned by Bank of America, uh, suddenly his, his bank account was closed, so so no, nothing you can do. And then we hear all these horror stories all the time. And uh, but but one question, I, I, just just for my listeners and for my own understanding, um, you are a decentralized data storage. Uh, that means you're sitting on some blockchain, uh, or or uh, it, it, which which protocol or which blockchain is that, or are you blockchain agnostic? Uh, and, and how are the nodes uh, verifying that storage information or how, how are you even storing it? Is it IPFS or, or what is it behind that? So, yeah, so we're not built on any blockchain because yeah. it meant to be is because otherwise it slow everything down. Yeah. So we're a separate protocol that sits beside the blockchain. And our goal is obviously start with Ethereum, but then integrate with all the other blockchains that will be out there. So yeah. we can be the go-to off-chain storage solution. And what we do is launch our own node network out there that people participate in and then have our own uh, BFT algorithm that verifies, you know, good actors, bad actors, storage is there, the keeping requirements, things like that. So, so uh, again, just to understand, how do the nodes, your own nodes, uh, interact with the Ethereum blockchain? Doesn't that make it slow or... or uh, expensive uh, when, when it comes to using the gas? No, because what they're doing is on Ethereum, what they're validating is, you know, their own transactions that need to be on Ethereum on a blockchain. So if it's, if they're storing, you know, let's just say it's certain applications around users or games, yeah. well, that information of who those users are, their email addresses, you're not going to store that on Ethereum. You're just going to store that on us. So it's just like instead of launching MongoDB beside it or some other uh, database, use BlueZell because you want those decentralized features and have it integrated right into Ethereum right away. And, and for, for an enterprise client, is it like a, a quasi-private environment or is it that, that every enterprise client is, is a node going forward? They can choose. So they can decide that, hey, we want to have, we want the decentralized aspects and the benefits of the network. 
but we want to be one of the nodes so that we have the guarantee that the data is sitting there and we can validate it. That can be on there or they can use it without. Amazing. You know, I met you a couple of years ago, uh, first time, mm -hmm. and, um, and I remember you had a, you had a, a big uh, a presence in one of these conferences and I was like, when I, when I understood what you're doing and I was like, wow, this, this, this is game changing. So, so two years down the road, what's the traction been? Uh, what's that journey like? And, and what's been your biggest takeaway for, for Blue Zell to begin with? It would be, I mean, just like any other startup, right? Journey yeah. and, and combining with blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the journeys are way more crazier than other ones, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, really is nailing down those, you know, you start with this big vision, nailing down those features, uh, crafting some of those use cases along the way, see what's working, what, where you want to focus on. I think the big challenge is really going from, I would say, instead of the big challenge is not being an infrastructure piece which is always harder than saying, hey, we're a database, use us for this. Me, solution-oriented. So that you come across that, let's say, data privacy and data ownership. Yeah, we're a database, but this is what you can do with... No, no, we're selling you a data service for your customers that have solve all these problems. So, and, so it just repositions how you kind of come at things. So it'd be similar, let's say, if you're a blockchain for trade fi uh, supply chain. You're coming in saying, hey, your processes are broken, use us this way and we're going to streamline all that you come in as a solution not as an infrastructure piece amazing so that's what we want to do with uh, our stuff is come in uh, phrase it and position it as a solution as opposed to hey it's a database so so you 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 are basically customizing and handholding your client and 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 solving their real issues that that they have rather than just throwing a, a storage solution at them yeah, because then, then, then you get measured and compared to, okay, how's this storage solution for another one? And it involves a different group. But if you come in as a solution, yeah, right, like an actual solution that's solving a certain area, then it's, then it's a different type of uh, story. And is this for uh, the new age blockchain enterprises or is it for traditional companies, uh, be, be it uh, you know, the commodity players or be it the gaming players, be it the Coca-Colas of the world? Who, who is the solution for? Who is your audience? For us right now, it would be for any type of application that is looking at probably global users and where consumer data is highly important because that's where they want that availability, you know, and that control over it. If it was, you know, a regional e-commerce company that is just doing certain transactions, they can probably use any type of database. Yeah. But we want to focus in on specific areas. And what we're seeing right now is like, you know, people approach us around medical records, fintechs, uh, entertainment, social, because that's where the, the use of privacy and ownership is very important. You, you, you talked a lot, lot about focus and, and something I've learned from you and I've publicly stated again and again and that's something uh, you brought me back track on. Um, uh, what is BlueZell's focus today and what is the ultimate vision, mission, strategy from here? Uh, right now it's decentralized data storage for users. Right? Simple, you're building a blockchain application, a DApp, you got to store that data somewhere, we will be that. Um, the ultimate one is to have a host of data services that would be running over these decentralized systems like ours. So we can add in, you know, data analytics, 
different data products, like I said, is consumer-facing stuff that protect their data more, data security. So the, And then it could be even like, you know, potentially data marketplaces where people can sell the data in a secure, managed way, uh, permission-based to others. So the goal would be an entire ecosystem all around like data services, because I think the future is data being the next currency, being highly valuable. So you'll see different systems and ecosystems popping up that f- facilitate that. Absolutely. The data is definitely the new religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, as uh, Yuval talks in his uh, books, uh, and, and uh, uh, I think, I think uh, with all these uh, privacy issues going around with, with the big tech and, and uh, uh, companies not honoring what, what uh, your uh, data is worth or what your data can and cannot do, uh, there has to be some decentralized solution like this where you control your data. Well, but, yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, I was going to say there's one stat I saw, which one of the bigger broker data brokers in the world, Axiom, A-C-X-I-O-M. So in 2017, they collected 3,000 attributes on uh, 2.5, no, on 700 million people. Wow. So like data points, 700 million people in 2017. In 2018, they had 10,000 attributes on two and a half billion people. Oh my. So not only did they triple the number of data points they were collecting, they tripled the number of people they were collecting it on in one year. That's massive. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and where are they collecting this from? What, what is the data problem in your opinion today? Well, I, me personally, I think it's that individuals don't know where it's going, how it's being obtained, and who it's being sold to. Is there a way it. to really stop that? not stop it, but I think manage it where the user does have more control and say, and if you use, you know, have full transparency, use systems like decentralized systems that can store it, manage and give control to the user, then you can, because let the user know, okay, I know it was sold to such and such credit card company, and and maybe using blockchain and all these payment systems that the person gets rewarded in some way for it. But but that's a very distant future. I want to play the devil's advocate here. Uh, seven billion people, seven and a half billion people, uh, half of them already have given away their data. Um, and uh, me, being tech savvy, or people like myself who even want to control our data, cannot. I have to apply to the bank, I have to open a Gmail account, I have to use Google Drive, I have to use G Suite, I have to have, a, have all the social media I need, I have to log in, I wake up and I'm there, I sleep and I'm there. Uh, how do I not give away my data? Well, two, play, two things can happen is, I mean, we gave it, people gave it away for a free product, nothing's free. Yeah. So, yeah. right? Now, the thing is, how do you, okay, so let's just go to the bank situation. If I go to a bank and I deposit, let's say before negative interest rates come in, let's say I deposit some money. Yeah. Yeah, they're taking my currency and they're lending it out, but they give me a return on it, mm-hmm. right? That's the deal. Well, now with data, yeah, they're giving you a free service, but you've lent out your data to them. You're not getting any return back on it. So it's mainly, I think, about mind shift and accountability from the bigger companies or competitors will come up and say, you know what? I'm going to have a competing product against that free one. And I say to you, Zenkop, that, hey, I don't, I'm going to have this, your data stored here, but it's going to be managed in your own way. If you want to leave, you restrict permissions. You have the right to be forgotten. I have no access to that anymore. And that builds trust with you because I'm saying you, I can find other ways to generate revenue or other ways that we could work together. Yeah. And basically you're using your, you're treating your users as almost like your partners 
for suppliers. What is what is the biggest pushback you are receiving from your clients uh, when when you're selling Bluezel to them? It would be right now is a lot of I mean I think it was the same as other blockchain projects and everybody in the space. When you're trying to go to the other side, it's it's still very it's a nascent technology. It's early stages. Yeah. And larger companies don't feel that pain as they need it right now. Yeah. To switch over. Now, as data privacy, data ownership, and data breaches come more and more, and people start kind of fighting against it, or users start dropping off on certain applications, then it's going to be like, hey, we better start looking at these things. Yeah. 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 And and is 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 it ever that it is costly, or is it not efficient? It's slow. It's not scalable. Do you do you get those kinds of pushbacks as well? Not on the data storage side. If anything, aside from them trying to feel complete consumer pain right now that people, you know, fighting against them, you have to switch. The other thing would be that if it's if it's faster, it's not it's not it's not so much faster that it makes the difference to them right now. Yeah. Right. So if somebody wants to switch on an existing platform, they want to like, well, if you go to them like I'm cheaper and faster, they'll be like, how much cheaper? If it's not drastically, they're like, well, it's not worth the time to do it right now. Yeah. So it's really kind of figuring out that, okay, but what is important to you guys? Data availability, ownership to you. So that's where I'm saying is come in more of a solution, even if it's on a different aspect and let them exist because you're offering something else. What's, what's the biggest uh, roadblock to your success? What is that um, is, is uh, preventing you from uh, getting scale? Uh, I know crypto markets itself are nascent, but... but uh, uh, what does that can make BlueZell into in, scale into a lot of uh, enterprise customers? I think once we hit that solution where it's around, let's say, specific users, and people see that benefit, then it's then it could it could come to that point where all other products say we need that, right? So then it's not dependent on uh, crypto or blockchain. It's like whoa. We need to protect our users. This is a big thing. These guys have that solution and they yeah. need to start popping into all their software. So I think that would be one. And the other one would be, uh, the big one would be that crossing the chasm of more developers jumping into the blockchain ecosystem building and then they want full decentralized services and solutions and their stack and then we'll be ready for that. Great, great. Let's, let's move on. I think, I think uh, you're doing an amazing job with BlueZell and, uh, and best of luck with, with what you're doing. Uh, I, think, I think your team uh, is wonderful. I, I've met uh, a few people on and off uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and I think I've, I've also spoken to a few friends who have seen the solution and, and uh, when is that um, uh, you're releasing the next version of it? Well, we've got our uh, you know beta product out there right now, yeah, uh, working, and they can use it uh, for temporary data storage. Right now, we're nailing down the features that we're going to put out for uh, the next release, which will be going deeper into the type of data that can be stored, how much, and we're just finalizing that the next roadmap of all those applications. Awesome, awesome. What what about crypto? Let's move to crypto. Okay. Um, what are the other coins you like and why? Well, what's your favorite coin besides Bitcoin? Well, I think the, the computing layer of Ethereum is much needed. It has the most developers, has yeah. the most traction. Um, you know, the use cases are being built on there, such as, you know, decentralized finance, identity, things like that. So, I mean, that's, that seems to be the one out there that's 
that's attracting the most users to build upon, mm-hmm. and then hopefully that'll be spillover effect into the other blockchains. Uh, so then I think the other ones are more on the, the products and applications that are just going to make everything more usable and executable for putting new software things on. So, you know, things like, let's say, Matic, which is allowed, you know, yeah. faster scalability or transactions on Ethereum. So I think step-by-step step, having those things together are interesting to me. Great. Yeah. Great. And then are you, on the, on the Ethereum uh, protocol, are you excited about the whole uh, dApps and the DeFi space? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the stuff. The DeFi is probably goes down to what we all originally got into this. It was like, how can finance change and offer new methodologies of, how the financial world works. Yeah. And I think DeFi of, you know, basically having these, you're lending to yourself, uh, it's decentralized, it's collateralized, but there's no chance of a bank run in certain ways. It's super innovative and fascinating. It's just beautiful. I, yeah. I, I have been fascinated uh, with the development, especially last six months. Every day you're hearing uh, two or three new projects come up with fascinating ideas. Uh, yesterday I had uh, Opine, uh, building options, uh, decentralized yeah. options, and uh, synthetics uh, exchange. Suddenly, hundred million locked. Yeah. Second biggest project ever, and so on and so forth. So, so very fascinating. I, 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 I tend to agree with you. Yeah, I think just on the high level, just the the amazingness of it is like how it can work and how it runs and the theoretical. Then people are actually doing it and it's starting to build up is super fascinating because you've never. You couldn't have done that anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. So Bitcoin versus Ethereum, uh, like myself, you you are fascinated by both. Uh, do do they have a different uh, uh, charm about them? Are they are they uh, are they both going to coexist, or or do you see uh, someone like BNB replacing Ethereum or? Or, or or Bitcoin for that matter? I think Bitcoin's here to stay. It's, yeah. If I go to even like family members, like father-in-laws and elder relatives, to this day, they still only know Bitcoin. They don't, no matter how much for the past couple of years, they still don't know. If I said Ethereum to them, they'd have no idea. But they know Bitcoin from Amazing. ups and downs of the, the cycles for the past Absolutely. two years. Yeah. So that's still top of mind. So you got to think that the big population out there still has no idea that alts exist even. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Institutions, um, institutions, institutions, everybody's talking, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they never come. Uh, but we have seen a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with Bart and with futures and options uh, in the US and, and some revolutions kicking in uh, everywhere across the world. Um, what is your take on on countries and sovereigns and regulators uh, um, awakened by this revolution and, and try to fit in. So what do you, what do you mean by that? I, I, mean, I mean, how do you think regulations are going to change uh, the current crypto scenario? I think uh, it'll be good because if any, like all of us who are already in it understand it and look at the risks and things like that. So... On one side, yeah, you don't want regulatory because you don't want more control and, you know, maybe our old financial systems don't work because of that. But on the other side, we need it because then that trust factor comes in for the, you know, people to be like, okay, I'll go into this now. My bank looks okay with it. And it just, it reduces the friction. 
Yeah. Right? So I think that's where the regulatory is really good for this stuff. Great. And then who is your favorite regulator? Oh, really? Um, I, I mean, I'm in Singapore, so probably the ones that have given us the opportunities here and yes. build and create and, you know, keep an eye that, hey, no one's doing anything really wrong. Yeah. But they're letting us, giving us a freedom to explore. It's got to be MAS then. Okay. Right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think they're, they're not stopping you, but they're keeping a, a light touch and yeah. coming up with regulations as uh, they are themselves learning about this new new. Yeah. Track. And they have an yeah. open door to stuff that like you can go talk to them yeah. if you want. They, they actually... Uh, one of the first projects we did was with the MAS, yeah. or they were they were they were watching it how we're doing it in terms of uh, the stuff we did with banks. Yeah. So I mean, their openness and communication is unbelievable to think about. That that's like imagine us going to you know reserves or you know these regulatory bodies in other countries. Yeah. It'd probably be really hard for us to go talk to them. Uh, you you were there at the uh, fintech week last week and the block show. Uh, what was your take on on uh, Block show especially versus what you saw in the previous years, good, better, best. What was it? I, I was I was actually happy. Block show, you know, had a big turnout. Yeah. Good. It wasn't wasn't like it was let's say two years ago, when you know everything was just really massive. But I think uh, the fact that two years later, even going through the ups and downs, it was very focused. They you know ran it really tight, and everything was built in a place where you had a lot of you know, people bumping into each other and it felt very live and a lot of energy Yeah, and had lots of talks going on throughout the day, in the evenings, even onto the weekend. So I think that focused approach was really good. And what was the biggest takeaway for you? Um, for me was, I think, exposure to other projects and companies coming into Singapore because we, like you and I, we, you know, we see all the guys that we know in Singapore and most yeah. of Asia. Yeah. So got to see a lot of other different type of projects uh, and products out there coming on. And I think the main thing that was really surprising is everything was really focused on finance, right? Yes. DeFi, custody, money-related things. Yes, and then yeah. and, and few protocols we met. A lot of startups, like you said, outside Singapore, uh, who want exposure into the region and and we want to see them from outside mm -hmm. so so definitely a good place to hang out and like you say it was very lively mm -hmm. you were bumping into uh, old and new friends yeah yeah so good good uh, let's let's move on to my favorite part okay which is a rapid fire round I'm gonna ask you about 10 questions and you answer whatever comes first into your mind all right uh, let's start um, rock and roll rap so, what's your favorite book and why? Oh, it would probably be, oh man, first one that came to me was probably The Alchemist. Alchemist, right? yeah. nice, good choice. Still a great book, yeah. right? It, yeah. uh, it talks about the journey, talks about, you know, every time you thought the guy had turned that corner, yeah. it was, uh, you know, something happened and set him back. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the one section where he's basically talking I'm not a religious person, but when he's talking to basically God to carry him in the wind, to go, it's some of the most beautiful thing I've probably ever read. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's, 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 it's that point where you realize about life. You realize, um, you, you, you start to learn about life. Uh, yeah. Sometimes uh, you are lucky enough to learn it very young, and sometimes it just takes a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You still don't learn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good, good. So uh, if, if you could have dinner with three people, 
uh, any three people, dead or alive, uh, who would they be and why? Uh, che Guevara, because, I mean, amazing to think. The guy's Argentinian, decides that I want to do a social revolution all around, and helps Cuba and decides that that's not enough. Like, he's yeah. only disappointed and Castro didn't keep going. He's like, well, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. So that drive for him to go there is absolutely amazing. Um, Got to go with um, just growing up with, you know, parents like ourselves, uh, grew up in the 60s, 70s, and what they saw, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. You know, the, fa- the ability to basically sacrifice it all and be like, yeah, it's not worth it. Like, we were just in Vietnam a couple of weeks ago with the kids yeah. and explaining the history and how he just said that, I'm not going to go to another country to kill more poor, poor people. Yeah. Or poor, like, who, poor like the people I grew up with back home. Like, unbelievable to do that. And um, third would be... Yeah, third would be... No, I listen to him a lot anyways on podcasts and stuff. But... Uh, yeah, what would be a good one? Would be, I think, uh, Albert Camus, right? The writer that was, grew up reading his books and his philosophy of how he, how people look at him almost like kind of a nihilist, but he's not. He's actually very positive and see, just got to understand, like, how do you, how was he able to explain that and, you know, how people approached him about his philosophy on life. Yeah. yeah. Who, who's your favorite podcaster? Oh, there's probably... A couple, but uh, who's really good is still Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. I mean, it's totally off topic, astrophysics, yeah. but the way he can explain science and yeah. in a way, and he brings actors, musicians, guys like that on and yeah. can explain. And those guys talk about science and what motivates. So the, the ability to bridge this pop culture world with science is simply amazing. Yeah, right? it's just really entertaining. It's really entertaining. Yeah, another one is actually good too is... Uh, there's two that I listen to, Jay Moore and Mark Marin, who are stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. Stand-up comedians are actually really good because they have a way to approach and talk to people who aren't even comedians and get certain things out, crack small jokes along the way. So that's, that's pretty entertaining. And you learn a lot from stand-up comics. Like, the stuff that they go through is like, fail, fail, get up, get booed, yeah. set back, but they just keep at it. And, uh, it's it's new to me. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, um, who, who is your one go-to source for your daily uh, news uh, on blockchain or, or tech in general? What is that source? I don't think there's any... It's hard now because all of them are almost the same. <laughs> like yeah. they, they just everywhere. Do, they're everywhere. <laughs> they do the same information, right? Yeah. So it's hard to look at any any specific one. I mean, if I say it, it'd be the same that everybody else probably says, like Coindesk, TechCrunch, uh, VentureBeat, like on and on and on. I'm more, so that's why I, you know, I always try to wait and saying getting news on other things that are more interest and can help you out, like, you know, reading Fast Company or some stuff around, uh, you know, sports and things that, you know, uh, deep articles on, like Big Think is a good, website yeah. to go to, yeah. right? So, I mean, we all listen to the same tech and crypto no, publications. I, 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 uh, sorry, sorry. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, uh, I was reading somewhere, it's better to read outside your circle of, or around your circle of expertise than, than always reading about your expertise. Well, if you think about how journalism has gone, is if you do news-driven, then they're all the same everywhere. And so now it's going back to the journal, the publications that are working well are the ones that actually have really good writers and doing stories around certain things. 
So, for example, I mean, the Atlantic is still really good. Mm. Even in sports, if you go with, you know, obviously everybody goes ESPN, but now there's a paid one called The Athletic where they dive a bit deeper and go more into, you know, more of the issues and writing about sports as opposed to just reporting news. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the big difference in journalism now, that you're getting the stronger writers going to actually build out their own publications, podcasts, yeah. things like that, where... You know, they're going more than just the high level. Yeah. yeah. And probably one day it all becomes decentralized, like statement or something, yeah. a sentence, and, uh, and it becomes fair journalism. Yeah, exactly. Good. Uh, your favorite blockchain company or blockchain person besides Bluezell or besides me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, that's, that's a tough one because, you know, you. You meet so many good people, everybody's working at it, everybody's uh, pushing hard. It's almost become, uh, I don't know if there's any real standout thing anymore, right? It's well, it, We still need an answer, you cannot be diplomatic. No, I'm not even being <laughs> diplomatic, I'm actually trying to sit here and think, who do I uh, enjoy talking uh, about the tech and the economics? I think it's just so same with everybody, like everybody is very knowledgeable. Everybody's got different perspectives. Yeah. So it's it's hard to go to just say one source anymore. And oh, I think that's what's the favorite company, uh, favorite blockchain company who you think is is making a rapid change or drastic change or really disrupting uh, this space. Once again, I don't think you can even I can name even a company. It would be more which which is the stuff that's pushing forward uh, innovation and doing things that we're seeing every day. Like it would be any of these guys in DeFi. Basically, yeah. diving in there and saying, okay, I'm going to build out these systems. Now, it's hard to say one's, you know, MakerDAO at its high level, like pure decentralization, purity, that's an amazing thing. So I think it's just different. For me, it's different applications and who's doing what as opposed to, you know, we could sit here and go, these guys are using blockchain XYZ company in the most innovative way in the world, but it might be too early, so it doesn't help any of us. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Bitcoin price uh, in 12 months, that let's say, uh, uh, let's actually say just after halving, uh, 31st of July 2012, uh, 2020. Okay, well, I don't like price predictions. All I can say will be higher than now, yeah. right? <laughs> but but uh, uh, do you think uh, we will be sub 20, above 20? By then... Given everything that's happened in the past year and prior ones, I would go with above 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. You, you're not alone. Uh, I yeah. think most of us in this space are, are thinking that way. Uh, but but uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, good, good. Um, what's been the most important thing uh, that you have enjoyed or learned uh, while running Bluezell? Not just Bluezell and then basically ecosystem or what Bluezell is about, let's say blockchain crypto, is meeting all these different people yeah. from all around. Like I don't think any other technology in history has basically gone global. Yeah. Uh, not global in terms of mass scale, but global in people participating in it so fast as the space has. So you meet so many people from different countries, different regions, yeah. and different viewpoints really quickly. That's I think that's fascinating. Mm. That amount of people I know, let's say whether they're in Sweden, Korea, you know, Mexico, India, Estonia, like that. I think that's the most fascinating, interesting part of it. This entire thing. One one thing that you wish you had known twelve months ago, 
18 months ago. Well, I mean, not 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 price related because then that's all. Right. <laughs> that's always you know yeah. that's that's that's, that's a different one. Yeah. Um, Twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, would have been. Yeah, that I think it would have been great if you if everybody knew or we all knew that the wave of. Uh, the adoption was going to be slower than we thought. So then yeah. I think a lot of projects would have uh, positioned themselves differently mm-hmm. because I think the biggest challenge in our space is that everybody's excited and we all believe it'll go faster than we think. Or th- uh, and then, but any other techn- technology adoption, it takes time. So uh, I think it's all our energy and positive and everybody just wants it to go and you're expecting all these immediate results and thought the way that momentum's there. But it needs to follow its natural course. So I think if we knew that, uh, certain features or I think projects themselves would position themselves in a certain way um, to get further ahead. So that, that's a topic which is very close to my heart because uh, like like many projects, we, we have missed that boat as well uh, by over-anticipating the mass adoption coming too soon. Um, when is it coming? I, I, I don't, I think it's just, it's too... Uh, it's degrees of mass adoption. Yeah. That's that's the difference. So if you're going to any other startup company doing technology or cutting edge technology like this, your expectations of how you grow are different. So when it's uh, in our space, it's become mass adoption is a one zero game. It's either <laughs> it's either mass adoption or no adoption. And if you say mass adoption, that's like that's hitting critical mass to a point. And look how long that takes, right? Um, for any type of project, whether it's even a Netflix or Facebook, like look at Facebook. Started out just universities, special universities, like almost Ivy League. Yeah. And it didn't hit mainstream till probably like 2007, 2008, where yeah. it happened. Yeah. Right? And that's what you could maybe say that was mass adoption, or maybe later, or mobile phones. Mass adoption wasn't until iPhone came out. So I think it's in the crypto space, it's, we got to move away from these ones and zeros. And no mass adoption applies differently for different uh, verticals within it. So to me, that's a critical point. Uh, instead of when, the question is what? What is mass adoption? Because yeah. it's different for enterprises, different for retail, different for different industries. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you talking uh, oil and gas blockchain? Are you talking uh, Facebook, social media kind of blockchain yeah. mass adoption, payments mass adoption, etc. Or even going into something simple. Derivatives mass adoption. Yeah. If I went to my dad and talked about a derivative, or ninety-eight percent of the people I know, they'd have no idea. Yeah. So to them, is that mass adoption then? There's a derivatives market out there, yeah. but in finance, derivatives market has hit mass adoption. So absolutely, I think the the definition has to change for depending on verticals. Yeah. 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 I see. So over abused, overused term uh, that that everyone is using. Um, one one last question and something something. Uh, our audience loves and something I, I want to learn is is your philosophy of life. Uh, what what has life taught you and made you a better person? And what is that one quote that you're always telling people? I would say, and I mean, most of us, right? You only learn this later on, right? Yeah. And it would basically be the, the philosophy of life is, I guess, not to take, not to take 
anything way too seriously because then that affects your health and your mindset and you're doing the best you can. So even though when we get caught up on things, take a step back and go, okay, what is this really that thing? And it was, I think it was a basketball player I read, saw Kobe Bryant a few weeks ago. He kind of reiterated that something was happening. He was down, had some bad games or going through a bad spell. And then he realized like, okay, let's be realistic. I'm not that big of a deal. Whatever I'm going through is not that big of a deal. Yeah. And, or what was it? It was like, uh, don't think too much of yourself that anybody cares. Oh, he went through like an eight game something. Okay, I'm not that big. I'm not that important that this stuff actually matters in the whole world. So that kind of sets you back and go, okay, let's take what we got right now and focus on that. Uh, I think a, a good quote would be the one, uh, the one from The Alchemist is always good that, Hey, if you stay focused and put things out, the universe will conspire in your favor. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Great, great. Um, um, thank you, Pavel. Um, uh, this, this, I, I really enjoyed this. I've always enjoyed uh, sitting down with you, talking with you. Uh, you. You have a very focused and different perspective every time. And you are <laughs> one of those uh, people... Uh, uh, because of which I think I think uh, the blockchain industry uh, is is amazing. So thank you so much for for being with us. Well, no problem. Like you said, I think the blo- the, the the type of people and different personality, uh, different people from different backgrounds that is brought and different, uh, you know, education things like that is just amazing because you have a mix of everything in this space. Yeah, which is which is crazy. It's not just pure tech people doing pure tech. It's like people from totally different backgrounds who are coming in. Great, great. So we're wishing you the best of health, best of happiness, and uh, uh, looking forward to sipping coffee again with you. All Thank right. you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hashtalk is an attempt to bring out the best of blockchain narratives in Asia. If you like this and you found this valuable, please share this on your social media. Thank you for listening, everyone. Hold up.